Dr. Roger Mitchell Jr. is board certified (laughs) in anatomic and forensic pathology by the American Board of Pathology and a fellow with the National Association of Medical Examiners. Dr. Mitchell is the new chair of the Strategic Planning Subcommittee for NAME name. That's that's an old bio. Okay, you're going to (laughs) update us. And he's Quincy for the for he's Quincy. How about that? He's the he's the medical examiner for the city of Washington. Listen, I'm your brother, man. That's no doubt, it. without a doubt. That's it. That's it. That's mm-hmm. it. Nothing else qualifies me, but the fact that I'm both of y'all brothers, man. That's ha- it, man. Having having been That's blessed to, to to get you on this discussion, uh, let's give a quick history. When we were lining up who the guests would be, there was a list of about 10 people that I knew. Because the yeah. one thing that we've been blessed with with all our podcasts, not just the Black Futures, but leading up, is that the age we are now, our classmates and our good friends are well-established in their, in their respective fields. So we have this yeah. field of expertise that we can draw on to have these real conversations. So when yeah. I first reached out, it was around the time that COVID broke. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, look, we got to we got to we got to educate our people. How are we going to look post COVID? And Absolutely. and I reached out to I reached out to you, Raj, and, and you put the brakes on me. Early. I was like, I can't talk yet. B. I can't talk yet because, you know, we're we're we're, we're rolling it out. And this is my position as such. And yeah. yeah. And really what I wanted then we're going to get from you today was really I didn't want to know how the city was handling it, handling it. I wanted to right. know what is how does this change our people? How does this change our society? Absolutely. How does this change uh, the practice of medicine? How does this change our community? And there's a lot to, that we're still trying to figure out. Like, I don't know what you can answer, what you can't, but let me just throw one across the board. Based on what you're seeing in autopsies, what have we learned about COVID that we didn't know two months ago? You know, and, and it's good that, that we're having this conversation now versus two months ago, because two months ago, I, I would have told you, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, two months ago, um, when, we, you know, the first death that we've had in this city was back in March 20th. Um, and for your listeners, I'm here in Washington, D.C. And 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 we would not I would not have been able to tell you much. I would have been like, yo, we're still trying to figure it out. And quite frankly, the smartest people around are still trying to figure this thing out. Mm. But but I will tell you that this is affecting primarily those individuals. And can we break it down? I I don't want to call it black people. Right. Because the reality of it is, um, is that, you know, the, 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 the simple gene that that melanates our skin doesn't put us at risk for health disparities like hypertension and diabetes. That's right. And doesn't put us at risk for um, COVID. The, the mere fact that we have melanin does not put us at risk. What puts us at risk is um, the history of slavery. Right. What puts us at risk is the fact that we have uh, endured 400 years of slavery and now find ourselves 
um, in a post-slavery environment where we're still feeling the results of the lack of equity that com- came out of the slave process, right? And what does that mean? That means a lack of access to education, economics, housing, health care, and criminal justice practices. And so when we're talking about COVID, uh, COVID and COVID-related deaths, we're talking about, and I won't get too down in the weeds until you ask me, but we're talking about um, a state that happens within our aging population, right? There's this kind of baseline inflammation that happens with aging, and we will all have a hyper-inflamed state when we're older, right? And we could the, the best thing we could do is to work on that now, right? Eat mm-hmm. well, exercise, try to keep our bodies and our cells um, as young as possible. But at the end of the day, if we have a high inflammatory or pro-inflammatory state, this COVID response, this COVID virus will cause more inflammation in our bodies. And then our bodily response is what we call a hyper inflammatory response. And that's what leads to the pneumonia. That's what leads to the lung disease. That's what leads to the heart disease. That what leads to the pro-thrombotic state, which we have clots in our bodies. All of the things that we're learning on TV is because um, particular parts of our community have not have had access to healthy things and we have poor health outcomes to begin with. So I don't know if that makes sense. It makes but all the sense. That's functionally where we are and why we're affected the way we're affected. Our poor communities across the board hitting, getting that same response, that negative outcomes via COVID. Right. So poverty is one aspect, right? Mm-hmm. So because if, if this country wasn't so racist, then poverty would be the common denominator, mm-hmm. right? But because there's such institutional racism, you could be rich and still not, not have seen a doctor in six years. Right. Because of the um, this notion, this distrust, right? Mm-hmm. The Tuskegee experiment, the things that are pervasive in our community that keeps us from accessing care makes us sick and rich. Right. That's one of the pieces, man, that I see, too, in it, from my perspective. It's that systemic end, the systematic end, because we know that poverty tracks with race, just as you said. If it wasn't for racism, we could simply track poverty. But the fact that those two are inextricable and that racism is the reason why black folks are disproportionately poor, brown folks are disproportionately poor, Southeast Asian, so on and so forth. Right. So that systemic factor is so huge. And it's the piece that people miss often when it comes to healthcare. It is what are the systemic factors we often think in terms of like, here's some shit that I can do for my own body. But we don't think of it in terms of like, how do I, how do I prevent myself from getting infections like a COVID-19 or any other coronavirus? How do I prevent other people from doing it? So, and, and what do my environment resources and Mm. access have to do with my ability to do all those things before you even get literally to the color of the person's skin, to your point, the brownness and our melanation isn't the reason why. It's the systemic factors. So all that to say, one of the things that I that I look at 
and I like to think of myself as a fellow scientist. You know, we ain't gonna play big bank, take little bank when it comes to science. But you know, we were both in we were both in just hall, right? Absolutely. You know, so we both have 100%. that love for science, right? Yes, sir. And so my big question, my big push, my thing is scientific literacy. How have you found the the either the literacy that people have or the lack of scientific literacy, that basic, you know, conceptions and understanding and ways to think about the world that are scientific, to think about things in terms of coming up with a plan for asking and answering the question, those things that we understand as scientific processes to just make sense of things that are scientific. And I find that I struggle with a lack of scientific literacy, how does that affect you in doing your job? People simply just not knowing basics of science and scientific procedures and thought. Well, I mean, that's a lot, right? So, I mean, the, 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 the long and short of what we're talking about is I think people come to an understanding of their environment based upon what their own experiences have been. Mm -hmm. And like you talked about, I'm a professor of many, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm a professor in the medical school, yep. um, the undergraduate, you know, uh, I'm a professor in the ministry. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, it's really up to those that want to communicate information to find the level set, the, mm. the perspective that the student is coming from or those that you're trying to engage yep. with information and be able to reach people where they are, not any higher or any lower. See, that's where we get into a problem, particularly as African-Americans that went to school and all of that. We believe that we have to, quote, dumb things down or we have to raise people's intelligence. Mm -hmm. And none of that is true. The reality of it is, is that truth rec recognizes truth. Mm -hmm. You know, back when we was growing up and, and you know, we're all hip hop is, is, you know, we always said game recognizes game. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And so at the end of the day, you know, you should be able to educate and share your thought and your perspective with anyone, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what their education level is or understanding of science. Right. Absolutely. And in a way that allows for them to understand it and to 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 consume it. We call that in the word we call that easily entreated. Um, making sure that you're casting your seed into fertile ground. And so it may say take some time before you give information that will change life, before you give life-changing information, you may need to till the land first. Mm. Yeah. And and so yeah. what that means is that's relationship. So you so so we you need to take time to generate relationship with community, live in community access community before you can drop seed into community, before you can give them thing, give community something that they can nurture so that it can grow into the tree. And I yeah. know I'm using metaphor, but that mm -hmm. the, the, the point that I'm making is, is that I don't get frustrated with, with, with people not necessarily understanding or getting the message, any message that I'm giving. What I get frustrated with is the inherent barriers mm -hmm. to the information being provided. So, for example, um, if I see beautiful flowers that are 
that that are growing amongst thorn bushes mm-hmm. that are intended to choke out the, ner- the nutrients from that flower. I don't get mad at the flower for being within the thorn bushes. Mm-hmm. I'm mad at the thorn bushes. Yeah, right. And so that's what we're talking about when we're trying to nurture um, our community in the midst of institutional racism. Yep. We are getting mad at our people when we should be getting mad at the thorn bushes. Yep. Well, you just yeah, squashed I, my entire next question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can, I might be able to step because it's, it's that way. Like you said, thinking like a professor, thinking like a teacher and meeting people where they are rather than attempting to pull people up all the time or move people where you have to meet them. Like you just said, man, you got to meet them where Which, they are. And you also, you also have to understand that you have more to learn from the person that you're engaging with than you have to teach them. And so you come to a, 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 come to a conversation with humility and you come to a conversation understanding that you're going to learn more coming out of that conversation if you're willing to. Right. So the preparedness piece in that is relationship, right? As you said, you know, Will Smith famously said, if, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And ready That's in it. this case is, do I have a relationship with my community so that as new stimuli come down, I can quickly respond without having to prepare and get ready, without having to build a relationship man, then man. And, and build that time delay in. That being said, you're in D.C., city with a soundtrack, one of a couple cities in the United States that kind of have their own music, the other one being New Orleans. And yesterday on Amen. Instagram, I saw Big G and Backyard having a, a concert in the park. And that, that worries me. It, it concerns me. It makes me wonder, is the relationship there between those citizens of the city who, you know, love Go-Go, who would go to attend that, that concert, and the leadership of the city who are, you know, here to protect and shepherd the citizens. Are you aware of this show? And, and what do you think when you hear that? Well, well, I'm not aware of the show. And, and what I think about it is, you know, people, humans aren't made to be isolated. I mean, we're not made. We fight against isolation. Every part of our being wants to be connected to another human being, mm. um, especially around music. Um, what, what, what I cannot say is that government is, you know, is responsible for being able to, you know, uh, police gatherings um, across a jurisdiction. Right. And, and, and quite frankly, we don't want them to. You know, we want to engage in, you know, our daily activities in a way that we believe is responsible. And, you know, the question becomes is, would I go to a concert now, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. The answer, answer is absolutely no. If someone asked me, and you know, I'm the I'm the on the board of directors for the Hip Hop Caucus. Um, I'm chairman of the board of directors. And what's coming up is the I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, treasurer for the board of directors. What's coming up is um, you know Katrina's anniversary, mm. right? And every year with Katrina's anniversary down in New Orleans, they have a concert. And so the question was posed to me as a member of the board of directors is, you know, where does the hip hop caucus come down on supporting a, a, a concert? And I said, we don't. Mm-hmm. We don't. We, we cannot. But right. they're going to have it. Right. Community is going to have it. So if we are going to support it, then they need to be 
um, doing the concert based upon the permitting allowable for that particular jurisdiction, right? And so I'm sorry to get legalistic, but what I'm saying is, is that no, you know, from a public health standpoint, you know, it's important to stay six feet apart and wear your mask, yeah. right? Like that at, at the end of the day, and particularly when you're young, because you're young and you could be a carrier. And if you're a carrier, then you can bring it to people that are more vulnerable, um, that have a baseline of hypertension and diabetes and, you know, other cardiovascular disease or cancer or anything like that, you put other people at risk. So, so that's a long answer to, you know, that's not something that I would support if anybody asks me. Right. Right. It's that part that just all goes back for me to the scientific literacy. To your point, when I think about like flat earth, flat earthers. And I was having a conversation uh, with another friend of ours, Avell, last night, and we we're talking about this flat earth thing. And and I told him, like, there's a disturbing number of young black men who are on the flat earth thing. And at the same time, though, I'm not exactly as you said, I'm not mad at them for believing that the earth is flat or or better said for arguing that the earth is flat. I'm upset that they distrust their school, school system, and government and science teachers so much that they're going to deny one of the fundamental truths of the universe, right? That there are planets and planets around. They're going to deny that because they've been taught to mistrust their education. So these are people who have a different concept and conception of scientific literacy. It hasn't been nurtured in formal education and we got to meet them where they are. So now you're in a position where you've got to explain to folks who are having this important celebration of their own humanity and in a lot of ways their blackness and their New Orleansness. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they've gone to New Orleans schools so and to a large extent. So they mistrust education and science. And so now they have to listen to the educators who are scientists and in government, such as yourself, who are yeah. saying, no, I have your I have your greatest interest in my heart, literally as a fellow black man. Yeah. And you have to find a way to get them right to, to meet them where they are. Yeah. No, your, your point is well taken. And, and the reality of it is, is that, you know, I, from the flat earth standpoint is that anyone that believes that the earth is flat, we should encourage them to go to the edge. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's scientific. Like, like, go get it then. You know, feel me. Like, 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 go all the way to the edge and look over that Joker, <laughs> right. and then come back and be like, "Yo, I got to the to the next plane," and 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 take take selfies with that joint. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, right. like kink kink. Like, I'm on the edge, b. Like, <laughs> right. like I want to see that because I've been to Bangladesh, right? I, I've been to Mumbai. You know, and felt like that was the edge, bro. Like uh, that yeah. might have been the edge. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Shout out to my Bangladeshis, like, but that was the edge, be like, mm-hmm. and so, and so, you know, you know, distrust and proving, proving the 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 element is the scientific construct. So the distrust is the beginning. Mm. of the scientific mind. And so we should not ever, ever, particularly as black people, ever thwart individuals that distrust and mistrust. 
Absolutely. Like ever, never. Can you imagine right? how much someone would learn going on that journey? Go to the oh. ASB, do it. Take, document it. Blog it. Text me every time. How much would they learn by the time they report it? By the time it gets to the edge or right. the, by the time they get to California. By the time right? they get back to where they started. They'd be like, dog. They started. Yeah. Like, yo, I, I went around the world and I, 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 I. Yeah. 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 They'd be Lisa Stansfield and Neil deGrasse Tyson all yeah. mixed together. All mixed together because yep. they've been around the world. <laughs> right. And, and, and so, so if that's the case, then go get it. Yeah. Then go get it and prove it wrong. Because at the end of the day, man, who are you going to be after that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Who are you gonna be? Like you're gonna be, you're gonna be some. You're gonna be half man, half amazing. You're gonna no be Nas. You don't trust the system, so go completely outside of it and either prove or disprove your hypothesis. That's it. Boom. That's it. Boom. But the it. distrust, though, uh, Mo, the distrust mm-hmm. is the beginning. Yes. That's right. Great. Is the, the question? It's the beginning of questioning. It, it, absolutely. So, so we we encourage that. Speaking of inherent distrust. I clearly remember you telling me that you were going to go off and work this Federal Bureau of Investigation program. That Mm. was 25 years ago. Absolutely. Like, you know, I was there. I remember it happening. And then you came home to Jersey and I was there. So we went from D.C. together to New York, New Jersey together, which was incredible. Right. And you were going to uh, study forensics. That's right. Forensic science. Change your yeah. email address, which I'm not going to say out loud because it might still be a valid email address, but you put forensics in the email address. And I was yeah. like, he's, he's going all the way. Now, all the way. Here's the, here's still the, in my email address. Here's the question and the challenge. Yes or no? At some point in America's history, was forensic science and the convictions that came from it bullshit? Yes. When, is the, when do we start coming out of that cloud, out of that time? I don't know if we're out of it. Interesting. I love that wow. you. I love that you are okay. dead honest with it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if we're out of it. I mean, it's really the merit of the scientist and the merit of the science, right? So you know, we know that hairs and fiber analysis and comparison of hairs and fibers is is BS. We know that. Um, we know that to be true. We know that um, gunshot residue type of work is on the fence. Mm. We know mm. that um, uh, DNA is uh if done right can be very very important you know because we know that the dna projects that are out there have exonerated you know hundreds of black men out of death row right so Mm -hmm. so so the dna constructs are important um and then we have to we have to examine the inherent criminal justice system right so the inherent criminal justice system criminalizes african-americans as a function of its creation right right and so again i'm factual so I'm not emotionally connected, although I'm a black man. Um, I'm factual. There is no doubt the criminal justice system has been used and abused um, to, to misrepresent itself against African-Americans. And, and, and I would suggest that it is, it is used that same way still now. Um, that's one of the reasons why I, be, I became a forensic pathologist, so that I can create equity in the bias that may exist and right. so that I can explore the fact that it, it, it may exist. Um, and so that I wanted to be in a position where I ensured, at least in the, in the jurisdiction that I operate, it does not that exist. That is 100. That's right. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So you have that perspective. And then yeah. earlier you touched on the idea that the negative outcomes that black communities are seeing are mainly a response uh, to slavery. 
how are you greeted with your non-black friends and colleagues when they know these are your views? How do they receive these conversations knowing these are your views? Yeah, it's case by case. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, um, there's I, I haven't found any of my non non um, black friends or colleagues that would engage me outside of utter respect to my face. I don't know what they say behind my back. You know what I'm saying? Well, not, not even disrespect, but what about like just respectful discourse? Yeah, I, I disagree mean, res- with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, um, maybe it's my fault. I don't really engage in much level of discourse mm-hmm. um, across those lines, quite frankly. Um, maybe that's my fault. Maybe I'm in an echo chamber. Um, and so I'm around like-minded individuals, but, but whether, you know, de- regardless of the, of the color, the facts of institutional racism, um, persist and they're factual and they're real. Uh, and, and that's the thing about it. The great thing about this time, gentlemen, is that we can call racism out. And even though it makes people nervous, it's not passe. And we and we have been talking about this for 30 years. I mean, we've been talking about this in our lives for 30 years, but it is it is a conversation that has happened since we've come to the shores of this country. Right. At least some of us have. Right. And so uh, so so now in this environment, we can call it out. And 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 be clear about it, man, this is a great time in history. I tell my kids, I have a 15, a 17-year-old, and a 13-year-old, the fact that they can call out institutional racism without fear of being kicked out their school, the fact that their schools have curriculum that bring up institutional racism, mm-hmm. it, it, it is fantastic. I don't, I don't perceive my colleagues, and, and I speak about it. I mean, we, we, you know, I've held conferences on deaths in custody, and part of the conferences is talking about institutional racism. Um, and the majority of the participants are not African or African-American. Um, you know, I'm hoping it's an opportunity for my colleagues to learn um, the truth and learn the experiences of the Africans in America um, that that have slave descendancy. You know, I I was on the phone with a friend of mine that I went to med school with and he called me, he said, Raj, will you will you talk to some of the young brothers that um, are in the med school that are medical students. And he's a prominent surgeon and um, he's African. Um, well, he's Haitian. And when he was in med school, he had his head down mm. and all he did was study. Right. When I was in med school, I was president of the Student National Medical Association. I was developing curriculum for violence prevention in, in inner city Newark. I was I was traveling the country uh, educating individuals on violence prevention. I was protesting the death of Amadou Diallo and Earl Faison. And oh. I was saying, who's with me? Who's with me? Who's with me? At the same time, in medical school, getting my education, right? And he was like, nah, I'm not doing all that. I want to be a surgeon. And he came to me. He said, Raj, man, I realize... You know, he he married a white woman, and but he said, I, he said, my daughters are black, no doubt, and they're they're black in America. Mm-hmm. He said, I didn't grow up. He said, I came to America when I was in my twenties. He said, I didn't have that experience, but what I'm realizing is that my children, my daughters, are going to have the experiences that you had, and that you were so passionate about. Yo, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore, Doc. He was like, Roger, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore because my daughters 
are going to have an experience that I never had. And so what I'm saying is, is that if my life experiences and speaking truth to power can educate individuals about the experiences of being black in America, that even if they don't like it, they're going to become educated. Right. Right. Last time I saw you in person, it was in Washington, D.C. It was snowing. And I was getting ready to drive home, and I, I just threw, that, threw the, the bat sign up, said, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I got about an hour before I go, I go back home. Where are you? And you said, meet me at Ben's Chili Bowl. It was Sunday morning. I think it's Sunday morning, but it was early, like before. Nobody's buying a half smoke at yeah, like yeah, yeah. 9 a.m. So I show up, and it's your, your men's Bible study group. Yeah. You were yeah. a busy dude with three kids and a wife. Yeah. 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 That was Bible at the bar. Right. So so what I realized is, is that men, you know, it's so lonely being a righteous, a righteous man. Right. And trying to identify and connect with your own righteousness. It's a lonely proposition because the what the world tells you is that you should be hunting, hunting behind and getting money. And that's and and quite frankly, that's what I I thought my existence was um, before before my 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 elevation in consciousness is that I was supposed to do that. And so Bible at the bar was a is a men's breakfast that I used to run at a local bar um, where we just explored, you know, what does it mean to be a man? You know, not beating people over the head with, you know, Jesus as an example of manhood, although he is one. Um, but, but, but this example of, Hey, listen, you know, if you need examples of manhood, let me show you, if you need people to walk with you, let's walk together. Um, and as far as being busy, man, let me tell you something, man, boy, I'm lonely. Like, that's why I'm like, yo, how can I get on with y'all? Like Mo and B are on a podcast. Like I need to be there <laughs> because I want to be like a, a, a guest that comes back. Like I need to be part of what you're doing because I'm lonely. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I, I you know, I, there's, there's a handful of brothers and, and y'all know the truth. There's a handful of brothers that you're going to share the intimacy of your anxiety, mm. the intimacy of yeah. your uncertainty, the intimacy of your frailty with. And what, what happens is, is that men are not allowed to express our frailties and our uncertainties because what the world has shown us is that we don't have the room for that. And I'm not talking about the sensitivities for sensitivity's sake. Right. I'm yeah. not talking about that. I'm talking about the dull side of the sword, right? I'm talking about the dull side of the sword. I'm not talking about flowery frailty. I'm talking about a sword that can't cut in battle mm. and the need to sharpen that sword mm. in a way that you're prepared for battle. And the only way, and this is scripture, the only way that you can sharpen your sword is you sharpen it against uh, 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 something that is hard and something that is steel or rock, mm. you know, it's, only way you get sharp. So I don't sharpen my sword amongst my wife. I'll right. cut her. She'll be damaged. Mm. Right. Mm. I sharpen my sword with y'all brothers. I'm sharpening right now. Right. So if I'm sharpening my sword right now, she can polish my sword. She can prepare me for battle. Mm -hmm. She can, you know, she can, she, when I come back and I got wounds that need to be tended to, absolutely. 
Right. Mm-hmm. But 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 pre- preparation for war? Man, I'm in the war room right now. <laughs> Let me tell you who laid <laughs> something similar on me first. One of our mutual good friends, Eric Roberson, who's yeah, been yeah, a part yeah. of every project I've ever done. Like Love that it. dude, Jersey. let me Love let me just Jersey pause dude. one second. Another Jersey dude that I've known for way too long. Let me just let me dedicate this one minute of time to Eric Roberson to tell Please him. Please don't start singing. That's all I'm saying. I'm not. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. At least two funerals that I've called Eric on and said, "Dog, I just need you to come sing this song." The dude has yeah, shown yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. I call Odell, you know, uh, Odell Cleveland the third, baby. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Jew's Jew's wife. Right, you don't know her, yeah. but he shows up. Yeah. You yeah. ask the guy, "Hey, man, look, I know you got three kids at home, just like I got three kids. You yeah, know, yeah. this is the thing I'm working on. I think it'll do good for our community." Shows up. Yeah. yeah. So this is yeah, what he laid on me. The same thing you just said years ago. He in a in a softer way. He said, "We have to make sure that we continue to show up for each other, because Amen. women do a great job at it." But men get so caught up with the rest of the family that we stop showing up for each other and with each other. Yeah. It's a softer kind of way to maybe say the same thing you were just saying. No, no, no. It's not true. soft at all. I mean, he's an R&B dude, so I love R&B. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, he's an R&B dude. You know what I mean? Like, Shots fired. You know, no, 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 no. He's just R&B. getting the rough like, trust, man. I got a leather vest. I got a leather vest with no shirt on in the closet, man. Don't do that. Feel me, like, like, but what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying, Eric, you realize it because I know Eric is, is gonna listen to this. Hey, Eric, you realize that's Roger's voice, right? Y'all see, nah, you, do you that. Just, don't do that. Nah, you just put on the remember when Martin showed up, remember when Martin showed up with Jodeci on the show? Yo, that's that, yeah, that's it. And, and what I'm saying is, is that he said it's a softer way. What I'm saying it is not. What I'm saying is, is that Jesus rocked with 12 dudes. You mm. feel me? Yeah, sure. He rocked with 12 dudes. He had some sisters in the mix. You know what I'm saying? That he spent some time with, that spent time with him. But he rocked with 12 dudes, man. Because what he realized is, is that this, this message of, of, of revolution was one that you needed to seed it amongst men. Yeah. That's what you need to seed. You need to seed the message of revolution amongst men. Although, uh, and and women will respond, but it, but it's this it's it's this relationship amongst men that's going to sustain the revolution, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, it's been it has really been black women in particular in the black community, and we are familiar with like this bridge caught my back. We understand like women have black women in particular have carried the load. It's dope learning about and being a part of and seeing us as black men be fully realized black men be powerful in our fully realized emotions we can we can be more than happy and angry we can be sad we can be afraid you mean we, we don't can, have to feel some kind of way we can actually yeah. we can <laughs> not we can feel some kind of way but then we got to get together to at Ben's chili bowl and we pull that bible out and then we start grounding why we feel that type of way right that's you know what right. i mean so that's it's right. that it's that sort of fellowship mm-hmm. and that sort of and that sort of vulnerability that is not fragility but strength mm-hmm. and and that you sure. can be buoyed when you are at your weak, weakest or you are weak or you are not, as you said, uh, Rogers, you're not at your sharpest. It's your brothers who can pick you up. And the sisters have done it for us for so long. It's beautiful. It's dope to hear that, you know, and it's dope that you put B in that position. 
<laughs> for him to come to the Christian. Well, he no. didn't come all the way in, though. No. He, I he, did come he all the way outside. in. I came in. We took a picture outside. I came all the way in, up the stairs to the back room. I know exactly where it was. The walls are orange. The walls are orange. <laughs> did he do the? Did he do the? Um, that little gift where old man Simpson walks in and sits his hat on the rack and then goes and puts it and then immediately leaves. Yo, he sits his hat like, yeah, I'll be here. Yep, I'm out. <laughs> grand listen, opening, grand listen, close. At, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the fact that you brought that up right now. Is 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 the is is the, is the testimony, mm. right? Mm. The fact that the fact that that we're talking about that right now, because again, when you catch people in their closets, in their secret places, right, right, because I could have easily several years before that you would have been like, "Yo, meet me," and I would have been like, "All right," and you would have been meeting me out in front of a strip joint, mm. mm-hmm. right, and it would been four, you know, it would have been eight in the morning, and I would have been coming out of the strip joint, right. You feel me? So 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 let's be let's be honest about about the secret places that you find. And the blessing is, is that when you call me, when you called me and I was in my secret place, that was my secret place. Right. And that that secret place is is consistent with who I want to be and who I'm struggling to be. Right. Right. Because the future, if we're talking about black futurism. Right. And we're talking about what's the next level. The next level is the ability for us to exist in 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 ourselves in a way that we're not trying to prove ourselves worldly to the world, but trying to prove ourselves um, um, godly to each other. You know what I'm saying? And that's the push is how how to your point, how can we show up for each other? Here's a departure question. Here's a departure. Ten years ago, I was podcasting and there were no podcasts. I was calling my friends and I was jury rigging equipment together so I could record. It was horrible audio quality, but again, great, great talent. And I record these things and then put them on YouTube. Really what I'm doing, quiet as kept, is I'm sending, I'm recording these time capsules for my, my grandbabies. And my grandgrands, they're going to so they're going to know all that stuff. Right. Yes, you're right. <laughs> On this particular podcast, I invited a young Mr. Dolberry, not Dr. Dolberry, young Mr. Dolberry. All your points hit home, dog. But you had this one point that I want to lay out in front of Raj. Dolberry then at the time mentioned integration versus desegregation. Pointing out okay. the, the differences there, saying that. When you have one-way integration, it's actually not integration. It's not like you took black school students and white school students and you swapped chairs and threw some, mixed them both up. So you had this, you had both experienced the same. Instead, you took all the black students and put them into the white experience at whatever level they come in at, destroying the black infrastructure and integrating one way, kind of desegregating, I should say, and how that was deleterious to our communities, to our education system and our society at large. If we could revisit integration, 2020 context, what changes would we need to be making today and where would that put us 50 years down the line? How would our society be different? You know, seeing that Mo is the, is the, is the originator of the concept that you've established, I'll, I'll take a I'll take a stab at it because I don't want the professor going before me, before the <laughs> student. Right. Um, I, I will go first. Um, this construct is, 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 is it, it, it was genius. It was genius. 
um, in order to perpetuate white supremacy. Right. Because if 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 the white infrastructure, right, if the white education, if the white schools, if if the white jobs, if 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 whiteness is the standard bearer. Then there is no way that you can be the standard if you're black. And so the political environment required for there to be the political and economic environment required for um, integration to occur, right? It had to occur, mm-hmm. right? In, in some shape or form. And so there, th- that, that integration for the investment in, in white infrastructure to be the standard, then there, it was cheaper and more advantageous for, us to, for, for them to incorporate blacks into what is already a white infrastructure in order to maintain control, maintain supremacy, maintain infrastructure, and also create an environment where that infrastructure will work for the larger corporation called United States of America, right? And so, so the man, what does it look like? If what changes what should have been today? made? What, it, no, what, no. what should have been different? No. What back can, then? what do we do now? If you oh, were to revisit, if you could reopen the case now. And make changes and adjustments. What do we need to do? And where does that put us 50 years down the line? 100 years Man, down you, the line? I think you teach the truth, right? So, so you have to dismantle, for me, you have to dismantle the lies. And you teach it across the board, right? So you have to dismantle, um, you know, Christopher Columbus. You have to dismantle uh, the, the Native Americans. You have to dis- dismantle the Moors in Northern Africa and Southern Spain. You have to dismantle um, uh, Egypt. You have to dismantle Judah and Judah's connection with Ghana, right? You have to dismantle all the lies and myths in a way that doesn't teach a revisionist history to the to all people, not just Africans in America or people of color, but you teach a history that is that is grounded in 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 truth. And if you teach a history that's grounded in truth, then everyone is on the equal playing field. Right. And then there's a whole construct surrounding the justice system and access to the points that W.E.B. Du Bois makes is education, economics, housing, health care and criminal justice is that you, you, you there, there is no construct of integration or. Dis, desegregation, it's a construct of, of access and equity of access. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about equity of access, then, then, then everyone has a fighting, a fighting chance at being their best, um, best self. And you put an individual and their, their progress over yourself, yourself and the monetary outcome of that person's experience you put your them over your own gain and then you, we're talking about in 50 years man you know we're talking about a utopia the issue is is that humans are inherently selfish yep and humans are inherently sinful and so here comes here comes this whole daggone Rod. You want to bring Christ and God into everything? That's but you talking. Reality, that's not us talking. That's you talking. That's the, it. The, 
the the reality of it is is that there is there is no there is no equity without this righteousness that we can't gain on our own right the righteousness that comes with the study of the 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 word and works of the perfect one and so um 50 years you know if we do that we'll be longer we'll be uh, a further along but at the end of the day that it's always going to be a struggle and so our go- our job is to to work for the fatherless and the widows um and make room for them what do you got mo made so many dope points uh, (laughs) from the standpoint that the United States is and has been run as a corporation Mm. means that an education system then is seen as primarily having the task of preparing people to get jobs, which is not what was intended. There's there's there's, There are a bunch of historical precedents that have to do with education and what it looks like in the United States that specifically have to do with us as black folks and as African-Americans, in particular, the idea that education is mandatory is one of those things that was really catalyzed during Reconstruction by black senators and congresspeople, congressmen, because we're talking Reconstruction, who were able to put those things and said, no, we're going to all decide, every state is going to decide on its own to make education mandatory. Because we have that equity lens as black folks, we've always been able to look at and see education has this powerful ability to change our circumstances. I'll go to our fellow Howard University alum, uh, the distinguished Mr. Thurgood Marshall, uh, arguing with his mentor, Howard University, Charles Hamilton Houston and Brown versus Board. That, that course case did two, two extremely important things. First, the United States for for the first time in its history, admitted, and it said, due to the history of racism, quote, due to the history of racism, separate in the United States is always inherently unequal. It's the first time that the United States as an institution has acknowledged the damage that racism did to black folks. And so what they did was they said, well, we realize what segregation has done. It has remanded black folks to inferior facilities and everything that we talked about to do boys points, everything from education, access, your health care. So it has remanded us to second class citizenship with all those things. So now we're going to fix that. And they asked Thurgood Marshall, how should we do integration? What does this look like? His proposed idea was that it's going to take 14 years to to integrate American schools because we should integrate one grade at a time, pre-K or or kindergarten. So 13 years, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and integrate going up such that everyone is prepared for these classes that are integrated to come through our schools. So if you're a high school teacher, you got nine years. You know in nine years the Negroes is coming, right? Which was Thurgood Marshall. This is tongue-in-cheek, right? But that was Thurgood Marshall's idea that this is how we're going to carry out integration. And what we ended up having was a desegregation, as, as B mentioned. Now, we left black kids behind in failing schools, right? Yeah. Which is another trick of, 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 of desegregation as opposed to an integration. If it was going to be integration, then there would be black kids at private schools, at schools out in the suburbs. You'd have taken white kids, brought them into the hood. We would have truly integrated. And, a, and to another one of your points, then once we're teaching in a truthful manner, we have a curriculum that manages to teach everyone in an effective way. Well, 
that the way that you do that is you tell truth, as you said, truth about history is one of those things. And, and ugly truths about the United States and beautiful truths and everything else. We have right. to learn those things. And then now we would have an integration experience. The answer is to focus and go K through 12, go up. It doesn't mean that we disregard any of the 11 classes that are currently there. But what it means is we change our focus. And I say this as somebody whose main focus is secondary is high school and, and college education. But we refocus our efforts so that we are integrating in truthful ways, in ways that are in integrity with the kids that we're trying to educate. We put them together in the same buildings and not just sitting next to each other. We're actually getting educated together and learning from and about each other to another one of your points, uh, Roger. And we do that one grade at a time. Okay. I love it. To a hammer, they say, every problem looks like a nail. Mm. And I admit that about myself. I can be a hammer in many ways. So when I see problems, I often see one aspect of those problems. In my case, a lot of times it has to do with wellness and nutrition. Sure. You know, I see a group of people and I'm going to spot either super healthy or unhealthy. And I'm going to, that's going to lead my conversation. It's my own bias. When I acknowledge in my life, the existence of God, when I take the time to slow down, I find it exceedingly difficult to not eat the healthiest foods I can find and, and I can afford. It's just, you know, once I, once I remove the, the bracket from what's possible, you know, what the, my elevation could be, I'm buoyed, right? I, mm. All my behaviors are changed. It's, wow. it's one of my core, never really discussed behaviors that when I'm in a spot where I need to do better, I stop there. And I, and I don't have to work anymore. So my question to you, Dr. Mitchell, is how can we more effectively address wellness in our communities across the board? Well, I mean, that's hard, right? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, human behavior is one of the hardest things to change, right? But I think that um, our social commentary, our pop culture surrounding um, wellness needs to change, right? So we change, but then also our pop culture change. Remember when we grew up, we grew up, um, our hip hop was a lot different. You know, our hip hop was, you know, public enemy. It was poor, righteous teachers. It was, you know, it was, it was a little bit different. It was NWA. It was, it, it, it was uh, jungle brothers. It was, it was, there was a social consciousness that went along with our disdain for our current condition, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine that we're not sitting around this virtual table having a, um, a, a poor righteous teacher's type of conversation because of how we were influenced by our pop culture, right? And so I say that to say that wellness is one that is, quite frankly, in vogue, and coming into vogue, right? Um, B, I know you've been, that's, that's, you, that has been your thing. And I want to point out that, that y'all have been, y'all were Facebook before Facebook. So when we talk about you were podcasting before there was such a thing as podcasting, you were getting like-minded people to talk over a digital format before there was even a Facebook. So if, if your listeners don't know that, um, let me shout that out. Um, 
um, uh, you know, you just didn't have that Harvard money behind you. That's the only right. reason that you didn't blow up the way Facebook blew up. <laughs> so, so mm-hmm. let me be clear. I joined y'all. I joined alumni before I joined Facebook. All right, and I'm back with y'all. So That's just right. know I paid. <laughs> I paid my money. You know what I mean? Rogers on Seven Dot so, Community as a founding member, by the way. Yeah, amen, amen. So, so what I'm saying to you is that wellness is difficult, man. And and so how do you make wellness hot? And then how do you bring access to the foods that 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 bring wellness to community? Right. So we know that there's a lot of food deserts in our community that make wellness very difficult. Right. And to 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 Mo's point is that this this type of education surrounding wellness on why a quarter water and a bag of chips is not a good breakfast and why we need to engage in in differently um, to 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 our nutrition man. that 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 also becomes to what is accessible. I live inside, outside of the hood, right? So, you know, I walk down the street, the closest, the closest opportunity for me is a, is a corner store bodega. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And that's the closest opportunity. So walking distance, if I have to find a grocery store, if I have to go to a grocery store, I have to get in a car Mm. to go to a grocery store. Right. And so if I don't have a grocery store, then I'm going to this corner store for my groceries. And that grocery st- that that corner store is not adequate to provide me the necessary wellness. And then wellness is beyond nutrition as you know and as you teach. It it is this this centering of the self and the stress management that comes along with it because stress in in anyone is a is a genomic change. It's epigenomic. It changes the genes that we pass along to our children. Yep. Is changed by the stress in our community in, in our in our body. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so stress management in a wellness construct is sometimes not even existent within communities that are impoverished. And so how do you bring stress management to someone who is worried about whether or not they can eat? How do you bring stress management to a community that is having multiple shootings within that community? How do you bring stress management when, you know, we just had an 11 year old boy that was killed in in D.C.? How do you bring stress management to a community that has lost an 11 year old? You know what I'm saying? And, And focus on wellness, man. It takes the entire community. And as far as the church is concerned, the church has historically since uh, Martin Luther King um, and the civil rights uh, movement has functionally abdicated our responsibility within community. And I'll be the first to be critical of the church and not being um, more present. Now, and it's not all churches. It's not all communities. Right. So we're not prating with a, a broad brush. But there's there's absolute opportunity for us to do more surrounding wellness in a community. 